0: ...of a nuclear holocaust, destroying all of human life. And some say that eventually, the destruction of the ozone layer will expose all of us to deadly radiation. Another theory is an asteroid could collide with the Earth and cause a disaster for human life. Well, none of this is guaranteed, And no one knows for certain what is ahead for humankind. No one, that is, except for the Creator, for God, who sees the beginning and the end. The word of the Lord is that none of these disasters will bring down the curtain on human drama. There is an event ordained by God that one day will bring human history to a conclusion. And it's what we've been talking about here, what we call the second coming. The literal return of the crucified, risen, and ruling Jesus to earth. And this outrageous, radical, staggering event is either proclaimed Or assumed in every book of the New Testament. It's one of the bedrock beliefs of historic biblical Christianity. It is this event that Jesus is referring to when he tells us in our scripture this morning be prepared. The key verse in this passage is verse 40. Jesus says, You also must be ready. Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. Now last week we talked about how Jesus inaugurated what we call the kingdom of God into human history. He invaded in His incarnation our experience. And with His teaching and crucifixion, His resurrection and ascension, He has established a kingdom. The kingdom is not not about a nation. It has no boundaries. It has no territory. But it's about God's rule over human hearts. And what Jesus did in this context is he created the church. Those who believe and follow him. That we are to advance his kingdom on earth. The church is not the kingdom of God. We are stewards of the kingdom. We are here using the gifts that God gives us to advance the kingdom generation after generation. And we're to do this until he comes back in his glory. So we live in what we call the in-between time, between the first coming and his second coming. The kingdom is not fully here until Jesus returns. Now we must be clear that the time of His return is uncertain. It is unknown to us. We cannot know when it will be. Jesus said He didn't even know. Only His Father knew. And because we do not know the day or the time of Christ's return, Jesus tells us, be ready. Be prepared at all times. This is yet another warning he gives us in Luke chapter 12. He's very specific for how to be ready for this certain event at an uncertain time. Again, verse 40, you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. He warns us, be in a state of readiness, have your attitude ready and then be living faithfully to be prepared for his imminent return so let's look at those two points first to be to live prepared for his return is to be in a state of readiness to be in an attitude a posture of readiness and one way to do that is to anticipate his return Verse 35, "...be dressed and ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes." Did you notice there's three word pictures here that describe this anticipation? One is to be dressed, ready for service. Or as the King James Version says, gird up your loins. Well, we don't really use that phrase, but what it means is the people in those days wore robes. And robes are very awkward. You can't run in them. You can't work in them very well. So what they would do is they would pull up the robe and tuck it in, wrap it between their legs, and tie it to create a belt. And, and that made them more mobile, ready for action. We would compare it maybe to I'm going to do a workout or I'm going to go play tennis and putting on my sweat clothes or my running shoes. The second picture is to keep your lamps burning. Keep the lights on. It's like the Motel 6 slogan, we'll keep the light on for you. Or having a nightlight in your hallway for those middle-of-the-night trips to the bathroom. And then the third picture is one of waiting and watching for the master to come back from the wedding banquet. You see, wedding banquets in those days could last for for days or even a week. I don't know what they did all that time, but the servants did not know when the master was coming home. And their responsibility was to anticipate so they would not miss it when he came back. And there's an eagerness here. And they want to be right there when he comes to the door to unlock it and let him in. Think think of families and friends waiting at airports in anticipation of a service person coming back from deployment overseas and the excitement and the eagerness. These pictures of being dressed for action, to have lights on and waiting for the master speaks to anticipation between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. And then interestingly, Jesus adds an assurance in verse 37. He says, It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth. He, meaning the master, will dress himself to serve and will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. This is a promise And an assurance that if we are ready and if we are waiting, we will be blessed. We will be rewarded. There's a strange reversal of roles here between the master and the servant. When the master finds his servants eagerly waiting for his return, wanting to see him and to celebrate with him, he turns the tables on everything. He has the servants sit down at the table, and He makes them comfortable, and He prepares foods for them. The assurance here is one of reward, of blessing for those who wait. The next picture of being in a state of alertness and readiness, well, I just said the word, is to be alert. Verse 38, it will be good for those servants whose master finds him ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. Midnight, three o'clock at night. Now Jesus uses an analogy in verse 39, but understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. Now this doesn't mean Jesus is going to come like a thief and steal all our stuff. Jesus, he doesn't need our stuff. And actually, it all belongs to him anyway. The analogy he's using here about a thief coming is to speak of the surprise and how rapid it will happen, how quickly it will happen. If you've ever had someone break in your house or your car, You understand what that means. Bam! It's just like that. How could that happen so fast? Revelation 16.5 says, Look, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garment on, that he may not go about naked and be exposed. To be in a state of readiness is to live with anticipation with your hand on the doorknob, ready to unlock and open it when the Master comes, with full assurance and confidence that there will be reward. It would be worth it to wait with vigilance, completely alert, not spiritually asleep, not being unattentive, because His coming will be swift and it will be a surprise. This is the attitude, this is the posture for our minds and hearts that Jesus tells us he wants us to have as we live in between, in between the first and the second coming. But what are we to be doing during this time? There's no indication we're just to be sitting around waiting. It's an act of waiting. One of the disciples, Peter, who's often the spokesman for everybody, asks a question. Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? And as Jesus often does, he answers a question with a question. And what he does, he goes on to explain in the following verses how to live faithfully as we wait. And this is an issue of stewardship. As we wait for Jesus, we are to be stewards. We're to be managers of our time, of our talents, and of our treasure. We are to manage our schedules, our gifts and abilities, and our money and possessions for the kingdom of God. This is a reoccurring theme in Scripture. We talked about it last week. Jesus says, he begins in verse 42 and following how the faithful servant is praised. He says, "Who's the faithful and wise manager whom the master gives puts in charge of the servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns." So the manager is to manage to manage the affairs and the belongings of the master while he waits in readiness. Now there's a special challenge here for those who are leaders in the church. Pastors, elders, deacons, all of us in informal uh, leadership positions. Leaders are given stewardship over the family and the flock of God. Leaders are not to use people but to serve people. Church leaders are responsible to protect the church, to protect us from false teachers and false prophets, to grow the church, to make sure the church is being nourished with the Word of God and and in fellowship, and to seek her well-being. Hebrews 13, 17 reminds us, for they, meaning leaders, are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So pray for your leaders, because there's a special judgment that comes to us. And at the same time, everyone is included in this exhortation to be faithful stewards. We are responsible for each other to live lives of love toward one another and we will all be held accountable for fulfilling His will for us as the church. Those who are faithful, Jesus says, will be put in charge of all the Master's possessions. In other words, that's another way of saying we will be rewarded with greater responsibility. Jesus then shifts, and He gives a warning to the unfaithful steward. First he praises the faithful steward and then he he, he gives a warning to the unfaithful steward in verses 45 and 46. He says, the, the, the unfaithful steward says in his mind, you know, my master's taken a long time coming back. And he starts to abuse the people under him. And he becomes a glutton and a drunk. And the warning here, friends, is do not postpone faithfulness. Do not postpone being faithful. How many of us say to ourselves, well, I'll be faithful when I get to the next season of life. I'll be faithful with my time, with my talent, with my treasure, when I'm done with school, or when I've raised my family, or when I've retired. We we delay faithfulness. We postpone faithfulness. But Jesus says here, don't do that because you don't know when I'm coming back. We don't know. It could be tomorrow. It could be in a week. If we keep living for ourselves and only investing in this life, we will be caught off guard we will be caught off guard at his return. When the master surprises the unfaithful servant, it says he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with unbelievers. It's not very nice. But that phrase, be cut to pieces, can be translated to be cut off, to be separated from. When Jesus returns... It will be a celebration for the faithful. But for the world and the, on the, and the worldly, it will be a time of judgment and of consequence. And then let's look at one more thing. Jesus teaches that faithfulness is proportionately rewarded. Proportionately rewarded in verses 47 and 48. That servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Now remember, this is a parable. And parables speak figuratively here of rewards and punishments. I don't think Jesus is talking about literal beatings and blows. But he's talking about consequences. Consequences for those who are disobedient and unfaithful, who know, who know what they should do and intentionally do not do it. And the punishment is more severe for that unfaithful steward than the one who unintentionally and in ignorance is unfaithful yes the description of being beaten offends our modern sensitivities but jesus is pointing to the discipline of god a loving father disciplines his children And let's be clear, there are consequences for whether we are faithful or unfaithful managers with our time and our talent and our treasure. Remember the conclusion that Jesus gave with the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7 when he talks about the wise and foolish house builders. He said, the man who built his house on the rock, he'll survive the flood and the rains and the winds. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash." Church, if you knew that tomorrow Jesus was going to return, in the next 24 hours and that he he would be bringing accountability, would you have to make some adjustments and changes in your life, in your attitude, in your lifestyle? Would you be scrambling? Are you and I, are we as a congregation, living in a posture of readiness as faithful stewards? There's an interesting story I'd like to close with that might help us to consider living in light of the return of Christ. It's a true story. It took place on May 19, 1780, and it is called New England Dark Day. The New England Dark Day refers to an event, May 19, 1780, when an unusual darkening of the sky came over the New England states and part of Canada. Now, looking back, historians have determined the primary cause of this event, they think, is a combination of smoke from forest fires in Canada, a uh, thick fog that moved in, and cloud cover. But this darkness, was so complete, people had to bring out their candles and lamps starting at noon for the rest of the day. And this didn't break up for 24 hours till the middle of the next day. Now remember in New England in the 1700s, there's no way for the people to know why is this happening. They can't tune into TV and the Weather Channel or turn on the radio or get on the internet to see what what the weather report is. So there were people that started thinking, well, maybe this is the end. And they went to the prophecy of Joel in the Old Testament when it says that when the Messiah comes, the sun will turn blood red and the sky turn black and it will feel like the end of the world. And that's what they started to think. This is the end, Jesus is coming. Now, the legislature of Connecticut was in session, and the legislators were all panicking, and they looked to a man in their Congress named Abraham Davenport, who was a Christian, and they said to Davenport, should we cancel the session? Should we go home to our families if the end is coming? And here's what Davenport said to them. This may well be the day of judgment which the world awaits, but be it so or not, if it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. I wish, therefore, that candles be brought in. That's what they did. They brought in candles, and they continued working. Friends, we want to live in such a way if we knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow, that we can say we are doing our duty, that we are doing what God has called us to do, that we are ready. And this is what Jesus teaches us to do. We are living in between the times Jesus came and when he will come again. God calls us to use the time he gives us the talents he gives us, and the treasure he gives us as stewards, as managers, to use them generously for his glory and his kingdom and his honor. Would you live and give the same way you are right now if you knew Jesus was coming tomorrow? Are we waiting ready? And are we living faithfully let's pray Lord in some ways it's just so hard to believe this promise that you're going to come in a visible way that the whole world will see and you will come and resurrect the dead and, and lift those who belong to you off the face of the earth and come and judge us. We thank you for this great salvation we have in Jesus that we will be covered by his righteousness and cleansed by his blood in that day. But Lord, as we wait, help us to be in that posture, that state of readiness with anticipation dressed for service with our lamps burning, watching for you with a reassurance that there is a reward, that it is worth it, and to be alert for the surprise and swiftness of your return. We ask for your Holy Spirit to help us be faithful and to be leading your people and to be using our time and talent and our treasure for the kingdom through your church, through the ministries of this world, that Jesus may be known and that his love may be expressed. We thank you for this privilege to do this on your earth, and we look forward to being part of your heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.